we're not trying to replace IT folks. We're not trying to get rid of people. We are trying to help your teams get better at what they do by relieving them of a bunch of grunt work and not fun stuff. And what happens when you get into IT and you don't uh, know what you're doing? Uh, you're, you're guessing, you're learning on the fly, and that's not a way to protect your business. Well, welcome back to Cloud Talk. That was Paul Cruteau, a longtime racker who has literally helped thousands of different companies consider their move out to the cloud. Now, in today's conversation, Paul shares some of his best advice on how companies can make that move carefully, thoughtfully, and ultimately successfully. Now, I'd like to remind you to stick around after the interview for some important information, as well as a preview into next week's episode. And lastly, if you enjoy this podcast, please consider subscribing using your favorite favorite podcast app. And if you already do subscribe, you might consider leaving us one of those all important five-star reviews. Each one really does make a difference. The line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking a sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. Okay, before I kick things off, I have something special for you, and it's a preview of a brand new podcast that's coming out from Mark McQuaid called AI and You. Give this a listen. All right, so I'm here with Mark McQuaid. Uh, Mark's been a guest on the program, my program, the Cloud Talk program, a couple of different times, and uh, and there's been some changes, some additions, some growth in his life. So, Mark, let's start by um, you know refresh everybody. T tell us who you are, what you do here at Rackspace, and the kind of projects you're involved in. Yeah, perfect. Hey, Jeff. Uh, hey, everyone. My name is Mark McQuaid. I am a practice manager here at Rackspace within our data science and engineering practice. Um, you know, at a high level within our practice, we enable uh, customers uh, within the data space and within the AI ML space, right? So everything data, everything AI ML. That's pretty incredible. How long have you been doing this work? Uh, I guess, uh, you know, specifically within the AI ML and data practice, uh, two and a half years now. Um, been involved in AI in some form or fashion for about the last five years. So yeah, I'm, I love what I do. What, I, what can I say? Uh, I love and I'm fascinated with the world of AI. That's incredible. So, so um, yeah, how did you get into it? What, what was what, you know, that first spark? I, I would imagine computer science maybe showed up first and then a specialty in, in data, but you know, take us through that piece. Yeah, I mean, I spent many years in in networking and VoIP, right? Voice over IP. Um, I, it's got to be 15 years almost I spent in that. Um, and then, you know, that was kind of dying. That whole industry is kind of dying, in my opinion, uh, from VoIP industry, right? Telephony is kind of taking a backseat, kind of going the way of the DVD, in my opinion. But um, <laughs> so I, I made the uh, I made the jump to cloud, 
right? The big bad world of the cloud. Uh, you know, maybe about six years ago, I decided that that was the best thing I could pos possibly do for my career. Um, and what was the biggest and baddest cloud at the time and, and still is AWS, right? So um, I made that jump into a cloud architect, right? I, I started in as a cloud architect, a solutions architect from within AWS. Um, and then from there, I kind of just got turned on to machine learning and artificial intelligence, right? Uh, just, you know, all the reading I was doing on my own, right? It was kind of a self-taught path really for myself. I, I didn't take any formal training in any of this. And I decided to, to get turned into AI and ML because everything was just so fascinating in that field for me at the time. Um, and then kind of the rest of this history, I kind of just got so obsessed and involved with AI that, uh, you know, as I said, it's, it's completely self-taught. I have no formal training. I just read a lot and I do a lot of online courses and training. And that's what got me to where I am today. Isn't that incredible? That's one of the things that fascinates me about you and folks like you and what I think this this uh, industry affords that not every industry affords. And that is, you know, if you want to learn something about technology, uh, if you want to go deep in it, you know, there are formal programs to go through, but there is an amazing amount of information available online from some of the smartest people in the practice today that that you can go deep. And so kudos to you for, for digging in. So you've been doing... Um, been doing data and AI and ML type work here at Rackspace, uh, Anika by extension, for, for quite a while now. Uh, and then you decided, you know, you're on my podcast a couple of times. You thought, hey, I think I could talk about this more. What, what led you down the road of, of wanting to have a podcast to, to tell the world about some of the things you're discovering in the space? Yeah, a couple of years ago, actually, um, I started branching out more into the evangelism space, right? I really enjoy talking about not only the tech that I work in or the clients that I help is that I, I enjoy talking about uh, how people can kind of follow the path that I took because it isn't traditional, right? I kind of did it right. on my own. I, I kind of made a complete career change, um, you know, in my early to mid thirties. Right. So um, I, I like to share that experience with people. So a couple of years ago, I, I did that. I, I kind of got more in that evangelism area. Uh, I became an AWS uh, ambassador, right? So there's a AWS program. Uh, it's called an ambassador program where, you know, if you hit a certain amount of criteria from, you know, certs and talks, you enter the ambassador program and that kind of gives you freedom, right? So I kind of got that freedom from that program to be able to, you know, do talks, webinars, events, right? So uh, that's how it started really, right? Just doing events and talks and webinars. And, and I just kind of fell in love with that whole evangelism piece that I figured, you know, kind of the next logical step was a podcast of some kind. And then, you know, being on your podcast a few times and just absolutely loving the the style of podcast, the conversation, that's all it is, right? It's a conversation you're having. And, you know, you're not really structured as you are in a webinar, right? Where you're kind of going through a deck and, you know, I just love the conversation piece. So, you know, after doing it, you know, with you and being a guest on your podcast a few times, I figured let's, let's try and make this jump for myself, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, that took us to, to kind of where we are now. Okay, so you've got this this new podcast now. You came to us with an idea. Tell us about the thought around the podcast. What, is, what do you want to cover in it? What are we going to hear this coming year? Yeah, so the podcast is called AI and You, and we really want to focus on artificial intelligence for you. Uh, so whether that be in your personal life or your business or any aspects of AI, but specific use cases for you. Um, we don't want to get deep into the kind of mathematics behind AI. We don't want to get crazy involving the, the academic pieces behind AI. We want to talk to real people about how AI can affect them in their real lives. So um, 
Yeah. I mean, I think that way we kind of are coming at it from a different angle, right? You don't tend to see that too often from, from an AI podcast or just an AI talk in general, right? Sometimes they get confusing, right? A lot of times they get boring. We're going to keep it not boring, not confusing and fun. That's fantastic. So practical aspects of AI. I'm going to tell you, I saw this morning online, one of the best examples of a practical use of AI machine learning. And that was an app that you could shine, you you could point the camera at a stack of things, a bunch of tubes of pipe. It could be a pile of bricks, an, an ordered pile of something, and it would count it and it would show the numbers on the screen. Or if it was a pallet of bricks, be able to see the, the two sides and be able to know how tall and how deep and how wide that was and be able to tell you how much was actually in there. So the AI around recognizing what it is and the machine learning to understand you know, then, then how to compute how many things were there. A really, I thought, incredible use of AI in a practical sense. Yeah, and I mean, things like that, they're just fascinating, really, right? And if you actually, you know, look at it deep down, you know, years ago, we would have never been able to imagine doing those things, right? Never, never in our wildest dreams, really, we would have been able to do what we're doing now using AI ML deep learning, right? So to be able to do those things now in the real world, Real life use cases out there, they're everywhere, right? They're everywhere now. It's just that I think it's just completely fascinating. And I think it's its so worth talking about um, with people on real life use cases of AI. Yeah, it's incredible. So tell us about the first episode. So the first episode, I, I, I was able to nail down a, a fantastic guest. We Hugging Face, if anyone doesn't know who Hugging Face is, Hugging Face is a, a fascinating company in the world of NLP, natural language processing right now. They are, you know, they're kind of coined one of the, biggest natural language processing companies today, right? So um, I was able to get a guest from Hugging Face on. His name is Joe Davison. uh, And uh, we talk about everything from how he got started in AIML, right? Um, How he kind of made a career out of it. And he's extremely accomplished. So, you know, hearing that is is very refreshing, right? Like seeing how someone actually made it in that space, right? Um, And then we're going to go into, we go into, uh, you know, Hugging Face and, you know, what Hugging Face is all about. And, uh, you know, for me personally, I'm a huge fan of NLP right now, especially deep learning back to NLP, uh, computer vision as well. Those things are really the the kind of the cool factors from within AI, especially in my eyes. So talking to someone of Joe's stature, working for a company like Hugging Face. Um, yeah, I think it's a it's going to be an exciting uh, episode. I hope you everyone can tune into it and I hope everyone feels as excited as I do about it. Well, Mark, I am excited uh, for you and to actually go and listen through to not just that episode in its entirety, uh, but to everything else this year. It's going to come out monthly, so we can look for one of these uh, coming through uh, every month now going forward and really excited. So, Mark, thanks so much for being on the program today and telling us about the new venture. And everyone, go look up AI and you and subscribe wherever you find podcasts. Well, I'm joined now by one of the rackers I've known the longest. Now, I don't want to say the oldest racker I know, because that's not nice, but one of the rackers I've known the longest. Paul Cruteau, welcome to Cloud Talk. Jeff, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. Oh, man, me too. So, uh, you know, you and I have known each other uh, a hugely long time. Mm-hmm. We were just chatting a few minutes ago. You mentioned when we think about all things uh, that you can do a rack space, lots of different jobs, support, sales, all these sorts of things. But one of the most important roles we like to think is those other sales engineers who help mm-hmm. um, you know really craft these solutions that customers use. Uh, you were one of the earliest ones. In fact, as there's been a little attrition over time, that's changed. Tell us about that. <laughs> 
So yeah, so <clears throat> I came down uh, to Rackspace in 2005. Uh, a good buddy of mine was um, uh, the first SE at Rackspace. He created the SE team, and uh, he had been trying for a couple of years to get me to move from uh, Dallas to San Antonio. And I, I had logistical issues. I had to stay. My mom was with me, et cetera. Um, and so I regret not coming down in 03, and my life would be a little different, I think, now. But um, got here in 05, and uh, I was the sixth SC on the team. And, and I'll, over time, all the five before me have moved on to other things. Uh, so I'm the oldest dog from a tenure perspective, but you're correct. There are many older people than me that you know as well. Um, I came down here. I'd been an SC for a long time. Uh, I started my technology world um in the early 90s, working for Anderson Consulting before it was called Accenture, just helping out technical sales teams, um, diagramming stuff, et cetera. They motivated me to go to graduate school, got my MBA in the mid-90s. And being at Texas A&M in the mid-90s was awesome because that's when the web was born. So 94, the first browser comes out. So while I'm supposed to be studying accounting and marketing, et cetera, operational, organizational behavior, no, I was learning HTML and figuring this internet thing out as I recognized, oh my God, this is a game changer. So I graduated in 96 with my MBA, but my first job was working in EDS in Plano. Um, a few years after Ross Perot left and I got a job. My first job was webmaster. I thought that was the greatest title in the world. So the MBA didn't get used, but my time in school <clears throat> exposed me to the internet, the birth of the web. Um, and so I got a job at EDS deploying servers for major accounts and got windows certified and all that fun stuff. But back then we were still talking physical boxes, web heads and database backend, mail servers, application servers, et cetera. Um, and then the dot-com boom happened. I got a call from a recruiter and said, hey, how'd you like to double your salary and get some stock options? I'm like, sign, sign me, up. me up for that. Yeah, that was like it's really, two and a half. When it's super interesting because that story is so early days of the web. It was, yeah. you know, here you are, you, you've got a degree, you're now studying for another degree. And and, and you start to monkey around with, with HTML. And mm -hmm. that becomes an entirely new career. A very similar situation on mine. Here I am running a recording studio in Houston, Texas, and the web is born. And I thought, well, I know about technology. I'm going to make a web page. Yep. So I had to go to a physical office somewhere where they had computers that were were connected to the internet and uh, and create a web page for this business. Oh, it's fantastic. I, mean, I was I was a student employee in the, the 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 graduate school technology center, so I managed all their servers there. Um, and I, I, I was learning HTML, but I also learned Photoshop because um, I had the school student purchase program. Uh, and so my my resume in 1990 in, in spring of 1996 was an online HTML resume with graphics because at that point, the second versions of browsers came up. It wasn't just gray and blue text, but you could put pictures and tables in the screen. And so I had a really cool looking resume. And that's what got me the gig at, at ADS. Um, but yeah, starting out at a, at a neat place, completely changing my mindset, learning skills that I knew were going to be useful. Um, um, it's funny, my wife always teases me because I had the idea not long after that about uh, about how to do private commerce, e-commerce transactions, sending money between people. And uh, the concept basically turned into PayPal. I just didn't run with it and invent it before someone else did. So uh, my wife always kicks me for not inventing PayPal. I've got a story of those two, unfortunately. But Lots of opportunities. We can go back and change a few steps. Things will be different, but uh, it, it is what it is. It is what it is, but you know the heart of it. What it comes back to is, and you and I, you know, we we share a lot of similar traits. And yet, Rackspace, we use the the Strength Finder. You and I share a, a lot of common ones there. Mm -hmm. But I think what it comes down to, where where we connect, is we love to see. Well, we love to help people, but we love to yes. use technology to advance companies to be more and do more than they were able to do without it. 
Exactly. No, it's definitely, we, we're problem solvers. I love helping customers you know, solve problems. It's very simple. It's always all about the customer. Rackspace has always been customer-centric. Our leadership was always about do what's right for the customer, take care of the customers, and the numbers will take care of themselves, okay? So I've always been customer-focused. I like, I still do it today, helping customers understand what is possible because technology continues to change. It doesn't stop and wait for the world to catch up. And so many businesses and customers are just trying to keep their car, that NASCAR going on the track and they got to come in for the pits occasionally, but they don't know that the, you know, pit crew technology has changed drastically and they're coming and asking for old school stuff when, you know, you could do this instead. Um, and so what, then they blow their mind. So I love exposing customers to Information they didn't have. I love blowing their minds, saying, "You know, you could do this, and you can, you can, yes, you can run VMware on top of Amazon Cloud." Oh, that's kind of surprising. Um, there's private clouds and public clouds, and there's you can put workloads in different places or multiple places, and it doesn't have to be one cloud. We let customers know what their options are. We deliver it with energy and passion, like I'm probably doing now. Um, let folks know we can help, and we're always focused on what's best for them. Um, one of the things I, I I talk to my sellers about out in the field, our partner sellers, is that when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, a very common phrase. Um, but if you're in the sales world and all you support as a vendor is, let's say, Microsoft Azure, um, well, every solution is going to look like Azure because that's what your salesperson sells. And so you're going to try to force fit the customer into that platform, whether or not it's the right platform. At Rackspace, with our broad portfolio, we support all the major hyperscalers, the major virtualization platforms, physical servers, and any combination of those together. So it's very liberating because when we talk to customers, we eventually get to technology, but we first talk about business. What are you trying to do? What are your goals? How are you staffed? What are your expertises? What's your experience with outsourcing? What's leadership's approach towards cloud? Are they cloud-friendly, cloud-averse? What about outsourcing? Have they been burned in the past or have they been successful? We talk about lots of business things and then eventually, okay, here's what you're trying to do. So now what is it you want to do? And this is important. What is it you want to do? And then the money question, what's keeping you from doing that? Why aren't you doing what you want to do today? And there's lots of answers. It's, oh, we don't have the people, don't have the money. You know, we lost people because of COVID. Um, we'll get to it eventually. We're just trying to keep the car going right now. Uh, we don't know what to do. Um, and so that's where we start having really valuable conversations with customers about, you know, here's your goals, here's your obstacles, and here's all the really cool things that Rackspace can do to help you get there. Because we're going to let you know this workload may be better here versus there. Um, and, and these skills you can tap into our teams to relieve your teams. So your support team that's probably relying on heroics far too often can actually stay home on the weekend, can sleep at night, can take a vacation, uh, or can pursue a, a new certification or get recertified in a technology that's important to them. If they're too busy to do that stuff, you're going to burn them out. They're going to get recruited away. Now you're hurting even more because Rackspace, we get calls every week. Hey, help. We lost our VMware person. We lost our cloud expert. We lost our cyber person. Can you help? And of course, the answer is yes. Um, we could talk about staffing. That may be a separate conversation, but we can do a whole bunch of stuff to help your team. At the end of the day, we're not trying to replace your IT people. We're trying to help them keep their heads above water and support them with this awesome, all-you-can-eat support buffet of cloud technology.
Well, and it's been an, you know, that's, that's been a common message we've been, we've had the opportunity to share since, since, you know, the inception. But, um, you know, oftentimes I know as I've had different conversations, you're, you're looking at someone in the face and they're going to look at you going, that's a really interesting story, but I don't have a compelling event. Yeah, every mm-hmm. now and again, there would be maybe in, through M&A or, or, or some other thing, there would be a compelling event that someone would need to change. But 2020 with COVID brought a bevy of of compelling events one massive compa- compelling event people had to yeah. move home we had to get stuff into the cloud we had to all of a sudden figure out how to work remote and now all of a sudden you know everybody was clamoring for the capabilities that a service provider could bring to the to the story to help unravel a lot of the technologies now one of the things i want to ask you kind of next around that is yeah you, we're a support company we, we get that from a rack space point of view but let's go let's peel it back a little bit farther now a company has to adopt uh, as they run these, these workloads, a cloud or more than one cloud. Um, and sometimes it's public, sometimes it's private, but there's often other technologies at play in there. Now you work today as as, um, as channel CTO, you know, helping um, the companies inside of our channel understand what Rackspace brings to the market. But with right. your, your larger, larger expertise, there's a lot of other things to think about when we think about moving something to the cloud. What are, if you were gonna sit in front of a company today and let's, let's pull service providers off the table, let's just talk technology. What are some things you're gonna coach a company through? Sure. So there's a couple of different things I can approach. A common theme I see is the concept that as an IT leader, we've our company has created this uh, this application, this industry specific thing. It's a sacred cow for us. It's our own logistics app or our own whatever. They've got this custom app that does what the what their business needs, and they know it better than everyone else in the world because they wrote the app. They run the app, and so a lot of times the tech leaders will say, because we know this app better than everyone else, we should also run and support the infrastructure underneath it because we know our app better than everyone else. Right. And I, I'll, I'll put up a, a hand and say, I disagree respectfully. Yes, you wrote the app. It's great. It does what you want. You're making money off of it. But you don't know cloud infrastructure as well as Rackspace does. Very few companies do. Right. So let, let's work together. Let us figure out what the best home for your applications are. And application A might be better here. Application B might be better there. And that where's the data? Where are the apps running? Where are the users, et cetera? And a hybrid solution is quite possible. And you may have the right solution in place. And we'll let you know that and say, congrats. You did a good job. But usually we can expose customers to a bunch of information that they think, wow, I did not know that. It's the whole challenger sale concept. You want to kind of rock their world. I did not know that. I did not think about that. Um, So helping folks understand that doing it yourself is usually not the best way to move forward. Um, I saw... uh, Back when we used to go to conventions, um, Daryl Plummer, he's a he's a distinguished VP, senior VP at Gartner. Love him. Old school developer. Cracks me up every time I hear him speak at conventions. Um, he said uh, that it's important for customers to work with experienced vendors because if you try to get to the cloud yourself as an enterprise, it's going to take you two to three years and you're probably going to really screw it up. So you need to work with experts. Uh, it's a super valid, valid point. I use that point all the time. Um, doing it yourself in most cases is not the best way to go. Well, because there's so many moving parts to it. First of all, right. there's real estate change. We're going from data center X to who knows where the data center is in the cloud. The other piece of it is you're not just adopting new real estate. You're adopting a whole new methodology. Right. You know, if you're moving to the public cloud, then you're moving to an environment that's continuing to evolve underneath your feet, whether you're aware of it or not. And how do you capture some of that power? 
And the other piece is you're also uh, in adopting this new methodology, new capabilities, your teams and processes have to modify as well and, and adapt to that change. And this is a level of complexity that, you know, unless it's the kind of thing you do every day, like a company like ours or, or ones that look like ours, then, um, then you really are signing up for work that, you know, really is not in the wheelhouse of your organization. We always used to right. you know, use the line when we talk about our Rackspace data center. Well, you know, we're in the business of data centers. You don't have to be. Um, but but now when we think about going to the cloud or transforming to the cloud. I mean, it's not even, we're not even talking about data centers. We're talking about a whole new ethos of how to handle and approach IT. It's about workload location, data location. Does it make more sense to be at customer premises? Uh, is it better in a third-party data center? Is it our data center? Is, is it the cloud? Which cloud? So helping customers understand where workloads need to reside is really something we're, we're expert at. Well, your point was really well-founded before, and it starts with a business conversation. It doesn't start with, hey, how shiny is your tech? Or what flavor <laughs> is your tech? It yeah. starts with, what are you trying to accomplish? What business opportunities do you have? What business challenges do you have? And then maybe we can see if tech could be a part of that. Part of that. Yeah, the hard, the hard part is earning trust because, again, many businesses out there don't know that we are really good at what we do. And so they'll bring to us uh, – we'll get into deals late sometimes, and they'll have a configuration in mind or a technology platform already decided. And we'll ask, we'll ask why did you choose that? And they may have great reasons or they may have just did because they were familiar with it. Um, uh, you know, We want to help folks figure out where the best platform is. And we can offer very compelling reasons to go uh, in different directions. We're, we are unbiased yet highly opinionated as to where workloads should go. Um, we recognize the good and bad of all the platforms. And we want to ultimately make sure the customers are going to be happy. We are not trying to sell lots of stuff. We're trying to engage customers in solutions and problem solving. And the better we treat them and the more value they get, the longer they are our customers and the more things they buy. And we land and expand and everyone's happy because we're doing really cool stuff because our experts can keep up with the change of technology, delivering the latest and greatest for our customers who can focus on their apps and products. Well, then let's pivot just a second because this whole conversation has been around how do we impact the individual customer, but that's not really your day these days. You are doing that indirectly because yeah. you work directly with our, with our channel team. Now, um, and, and of course, channel means a lot of different things. We could define yeah. different ways. So why don't you tell me who are the types of, of partners that you're working with today? Sure. So I support all of our channels. So channel is different things. So there's the vendor channel. There's our partners like Dell, EMC, Microsoft, Amazon, software companies, et cetera, uh, like Salesforce. Um, that's the, ch the typical channel vendor partner. I sometimes dip my toe in there when needed, but we've got great product managers that, that have those relationships and own them. Um, I really spend most of my time, 95% of my time, in the master agent space um, with companies, national or global, uh, that, um, that have hundreds, sometimes thousands of sellers that sell a bunch of products in order to get commission. The master agent, you know, is the one that delivers the uh, delivers the contract to the customer. And then the, and, 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 and then the uh, I'm sorry, the master agent uh, pays the sellers based on their relationship with Rackspace. They get a percentage. So the master agent is like another salesperson on our team and they take a cut and then they give a, a, some commission to their sellers as well. So basically the master agents have hundreds of thousands of sellers that are out there selling network services and circuits and UCAS and things that they know. But then since they're talking to IT buyers, we're teaching them ask questions about other stuff. Because if you sell that, if you refer us, there's a referral system and there's other processes. Well, then you get paid on that stuff as well. We're really good at this stuff. So bring us in as early as possible. And we help those sellers, you know, close deals in technologies they may not be knowledgeable or selling. 
Well, and this becomes really helpful to those end customers because they're able to, you know, have a single point of contact for for that buying relationship. They can not only get their, you know, how they're going to get to the cloud, the physical network infrastructure, but also right. what are they going to do once they get to the cloud. So that's really powerful. But you yeah. are pushing a, a a seller into a sales conversation that is very different than what they're used to. Yes, we spend a lot of time. So the majority of my time is spent educating sellers into the technology in general. What is this cloud stuff? What's the difference between cloud and virtualization? You know, occasionally I get some channel sellers that know this stuff. They were formerly SEs. They have uh, backgrounds at, you know, companies like Rackspace. They know the data center space, but nine out of 10 do not know it. So I educate them quite a bit. But the biggest point I make during all my trainings with them at the beginning, I say, you do not need to be a technical subject matter expert. You don't need to memorize all these slides I'm about to show you. You don't need to memorize the Rackspace portfolio and all these technical terms or get certified. You need to be aware of what we do, but then you need to become focused more on asking business questions about what they're trying to accomplish. Um, disaster recovery, storage, compliance cloud peer pressure. There's all sorts of stuff out there that businesses are dealing with. Governance, you mentioned earlier about processes and documentation. So talk to customers about those things and then say, hey, I've got a great partner that can do some cool stuff. You think we can have a conversation? And then we get the ball rolling. So a lot of our, our listeners are IT decision makers, the people who these guys are oftentimes talking to. So it's important right. for them to know that they can ask these larger questions, not just yeah. about connectivity, but about around, um, you know, the best relationship with the cloud, how to choose the cloud, how to make that, that yeah. transformation um, that they're, they're they're available for. By the way, new term for me, cloud peer pressure. I'm going to use that for the rest that's of a, that's a That's a Paul Curto original, by the way. I've, I've used that one for a long time. I, why? So we've got a new CTO. We're going to the cloud. Why? Uh, because everyone else is. That's not a good answer, okay? Uh, the cloud's a certain thing, and, and it's not a lot of things. So you, you need to go to the cloud for the right reasons. Um, speaking with IT decision makers, the conversations that I have with them uh, is going to vary based on their role. If I'm speaking with a CIO or a CTO, they're going to be a little more technical. If I'm talking with a CMO or a CFO, it's a different value set, a different value proposition. Uh, but the main thing I want to make sure the listeners know right now, um, we are, we're not, first, we're not a colo company. <laughs> we can do colocation, but we do managed services. Number two, we're not trying to replace IT folks, we're not trying to get rid of people. We're trying to help your teams get better at what they do by relieving them of a bunch of grunt work and not fun stuff, uh, a lot of which they don't know about. And what happens when you get into IT and you don't um, you don't uh, know what you're doing, uh, you're, you're guessing, you're learning on the fly, and that's not a way to protect your business. So let us be your Sherpa in the technology and, and provide and guide you to the right situations uh, based on your needs. Um, you, we're not trying to replace those folks. We're trying to help them bring new skills that they can then learn. They can take time off to get certified, et cetera. Uh, you're tapping into our 7,000 or so person company and accessing this all this cool support on an as-needed basis in the places that you need it. Right. Incredible. So yeah, the, the, the transformation to the cloud, you know, we, we've talked about how complex it is. We've talked about a lot of the things to, to consider, you know, but then there of course is the, the, that you're, you're calling out. And that is to the way that you're going to frame the conversation as you talk to different, you know, decision makers inside of an organization, think about that dynamics of how, you know, that gets dealt with on an interpersonal and a, and a corporate politics uh, point of view. These are, these are, these are conversations fraught with landmines. Oh, absolutely. You, you've got to deal with internal politics, silos, uh, Department A versus Department B. Um, you know, we have a very big customer in the shoe business. And um, when we won that deal years ago, um, there was an old IT team A 
and a new IT team B. And they were battling, oh, we want to do it this way. The other team, we want to do it this way. <clears throat> we were able to sell the value of what we're offering and team B won. And that, that led to that big, that big contract that c- continues to grow. So you have to be able to pitch the value, which means you have to understand what's important to the people you're speaking with. So you don't get that by saying, hey, look at this cool switch. And it's got 96 ports instead of 48. And it's got 10G versus 1G. Nobody cares. I'm trying to solve a problem of connectivity or speed or security or whatever. Get to those issues with each person, find out what's important to them, uh, and then bring in the subject matter experts in, in the next meeting. The goal of the sales meeting is to get to the next sales meeting and eventually the signature. Well, we go back to thinking about those IT decision makers. It's important that they come to the table with with hard business requirements and not necessarily having pre-solutioned for those as well. You know, when I was working in enterprise inside of uh, IT uh, teams and, you know, acted as a domain architect over, you know, a relatively large organization, about 30,000 people. You know, one of the things that drove that team crazy was when the business would come up and knock on the door and uh, and say, I, I, we have this business problem and I found a shiny object and I'd like to buy that shiny object, please. And will you, will you bless that? Which, which drove them crazy because they really want to, they want to understand the business problem because our understanding from a technology point of view is it's wider, it's deeper, it's more educated. We just, it's the world that we live in. So it's important that when, when a company starts looking for vendors, starts looking for sales folks or people to come represent what it is that they do, that they have hard business requirements and, and then let the, the, the selling company then ask pointed questions, ask discovery questions, and ultimately then find a way to marry up technical capability with business requirements and business goals. Yeah, the, the, the most frustrating thing for me, I'm a competitive person, I've been in sales before, um, is when you know you can help a customer, but you can't have the right conversation. You're trying to get to them, say, look, I could help you so much. I could save you so much money and make your team so much happier. Just listen to me. Call me, love me. You know, it's I, I can help you. Please, I'm not trying to to, to to trick you. We do cool stuff that saves people lots of percentages. Um, but it's hard to get them to open up because people have been burned so many times. Um, we've got a really ethical sales team, a great sales process. We're focused on customer first. Um, we just got to get in front of the right folks and let them know we can help. You want to, like you said, Jeff, you want to have uh, business conversations and goals, not just hey this thing is cool. We want some. Can we have it? Well, why? We want, we're going to be kind of annoying. Why? Why do you need that? What's the context? And we will walk from business if they don't want to share that early enough. Um, we will never be a company that says, hey, here's a bill of materials. Can you beat that price? No, no. I'll be glad to talk about the config and show a bunch of value because a lot of times you're just looking at the numbers and the hardware and you think it's what you need. But you again, it's not your fault. You just might not know what other options exist. Of course, we might not know what the environment is, but we at least let us give you a chance to show what your options are. Well, Paul, it's a really good point that you bring up because I keep thinking about this again from that business perspective. And that is, you know, if, if you're going out and trying to buy the latest cloud or the latest, latest capability, don't let this be a job that is driven solely by, not that they shouldn't be a part of it, but solely by procurement because procurement is only going to look for that lowest, let the lowest cost provider. And that may actually not be the right solution because it's not always just about cost, but about capability around supportability and that long-term relationship. Cause that is a, it's not like you're going and seeing who can sell you the cheapest office 365 licenses. I mean, that's one thing you can go to, but when you're talking about true cloud transformation, this is a long-term relationship that is in the guts of everything that your business does. And it shouldn't just be about, not that it, you shouldn't look for a great deal, but it shouldn't just be about price. Right. It's, it's, if you're speaking with procurement, 
I mean, our audience is technical decision makers. Um, there might be some procurement folks here. As a seller, if you're if you're speaking with procurement, you're too low on the stack. You're not going to get far. It's all about price. And usually, can you meet that price? This is too expensive. Well, as a seller, my response is compared to what? Oh, well, vendor twenty seven is this price, and I'll say, well, vendor twenty seven has one hundred and fifty employees. We have eight thousand. We have three times as many security professionals on our team as they have employees. So you're not comparing apples to apples. You, you're comparing McDonald's cheeseburger to a Ruth Chris steak. Both are really good at what they do. I, I, when I'm driving on the road, a good cheeseburger in the hand is nice and simple. But if I want to have a nice day, I'm going to Ruth Chris for a nice steak. So you have to understand what the comparison is and what is it too expensive, again, compared to what? Right, right. And and the thing that is so compelling about cloud is it's not just about, you know, the bottom line type stuff. What is the most the, the least expensive? Because cloud brings capability. It's not just about a new place to move your application. That new place you move to your application, if that's going on to AWS, Azure, or Google, the amount of analytics and data capabilities that could that could that could sink their teeth into the data for that application and give you insights and capability that really can drive top of line value is enormous. So it's, you know, having a partner that can help lead down that conversation. Well, there's there's so many facets to the business. And again, that's in the space of not knowing what your options are. We've got 15 data scientists on our team. We've got over 300 certified DBAs. Uh, we're running some of the largest databases in the world and on pretty much every database platform. We can help customers, but talking about databases is not something that you see a lot of sellers doing. How do you bring up that conversation? You don't. It, it pops up in a secondary conversation with experts. We want to help folks understand what the cloud is and isn't. And, and I spend a lot of time myth-busting cloud myths as well. There's perceptions out there um, that need to change. And, and it's, again, folks hear things, they see commercials on TV, which screws everything up. Um, and so we help educate customers as to what reality is and what their options are. But you got to bring that value. You got to let folks know they've got lots of options. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. Lots of options for cloud and compute indeed. Thanks, Paul, for that great conversation. Now, a little bit of housekeeping. First, I want to thank Dell Technologies for their support of this podcast and our entire Solve platform. If you want to see what we're up to, just head over to solve.rackspace.com. Now let's talk about what's coming in next week's episode. You see, next week we'll be releasing our Valentine's Day episode entitled The Tech We Love. That's right. Valentine's Day is right around the corner. Now, over the past few weeks, I've been recording some clips from folks from Microsoft and Amazon and Google and Dell and a few others just talking about the tech that they are most excited about coming from their companies in 2021. The episode has been so much fun to put together and I can't wait for you to hear it. That's next week on Cloud Talk. <laughs>